Good morning, Calvary Chapel family. We have a few announcements here um, before we get started. And um, so if you want to make note of these things, it would be good. <clears throat> Obviously, we know that today's Palm Sunday. I think it's very important that as a church, just because we're going through these uh, times, that we um, just continue to remember uh, what's what special uh, day this is and next week, uh, the resurrection of Christ. And also, it's very important that we just keep our traditions alive and well. So <clears throat> today we'll be celebrating together Palm Sunday, and then uh, the, you know the triumphant of entry of Christ uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, in regards to our announcements, though, um, the Gap Prayer Team ministry that uh, that the women do on Tuesday mornings will be happening, uh, and still is continuing to happen. But we'd like to incorporate um, an app, Zoom. If you have that app on your phone, um, let Kathy know, uh, give her, contact her, she can get the information from you, and if you don't have it, go to the app store and download the free version, and then, again, let her know, um, and then you'll get further instructions on how to do this Tuesday morning as they gather for uh, the Gap Prayer Ministry. Uh, Good Friday. So actually, she's going to do more than just the gap ministry. I guess they're going to do the women's Bible study as well. So all the more reason to uh, get that downloaded onto your phone. It's really not that tough. There's some instructions that come with it. I looked at it myself, and it'll it'll walk you through it step by step. Don't be intimidated by it. I mean, who, technology's here to stay. We might as well get used to it, right? Uh, Good Friday, uh, this Friday, um, we're going to live stream uh, at 7 p.m. here, so uh, we want to take the time to remember what Jesus went through for us, the crucifixion, and then we'll also have communion. So it might be a good idea if you want to take communion. Uh, uh, we'll live stream together with the family of God. You can get your grape juice and your bread available, and we'll take it together online. You know, one of the <clears throat> sisters in the church says, you know, uh, when you're up there next Sunday, just just close your eyes. And imagine everybody being there. Well, I don't even have to close my eyes. I can just look right into the camera and think, you know, I'm sitting with you right now in your living room, and we're just going to have a good time this morning and enjoy the Lord's presence. Is that all, you okay with that? <laughs> I hope you are. So next Sunday, uh, we'll continue the, the live stream. And um, <clears throat> you can just go to the, the website, ccgvl.org, and it's right there at the top of the screen, just boom. And if you fail to miss, the, the you know, in the morning there, when we start at in the on at ten thirty, um, it'll be archived. You can go back and and hook onto it and and play it at your convenience. So anyway, that's next Sunday. We'll we'll have our resurrection morning together, and then after uh, Easter uh, that following Wednesday, we'll resume our midweek service there uh, together in the book uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So just trying to get back to some normality in our lives you know we haven't been no one's been through uh this before so we're trying to figure out along the way just hopefully we can be patient with what's going on in our culture right now and obey the authorities and do what we're told and try to avoid <clears throat> you know uh, th- this virus that uh, is really quite nasty if if you we're going to be updating the roster, and so what we're going to do is uh, send out a PDF in a PDF format to everyone's email that's on the roster of the updated version so you can have contact uh, with one another. And I think that's as important during this time when we don't, we're not seeing each other week to week. Um, just check up on uh, some of your closer brothers and sisters and you know, kind of look over the roster maybe. And actually, it'd be good to just make that your prayer list. You know, just pray for one another and visit, see how people are doing. Uh, some of the older brothers and sisters, you know, they can't, are really not supposed to go out anyway. And maybe you could help them get the groceries or something along those lines. Just help one another out and be uh, conscious that there might be people in need. Uh, who knows how long this is going to continue? Uh, we're just not aware uh, of a lot of things. But um, we'll just roll with what we have day to day. So that's the, our announcements here uh, for, for today. And as I said earlier, I like to keep things as normal as possible, kind of what we're used to. 
And I'm going to take a few minutes here, as is our normal practice uh, on our Sunday morning service, and have a time of prayer. I think it's so important uh, that we pray together. And if there's been ever a time that we need to pray, uh, it's right now. What's going on in the world, what's going on in our nation, and the needs that people have, the fear. This is the thing that just is overwhelming to me in one sense, is how people are gripped with fear. And we just need to um, put our trust in the Lord, whether whether there's something like this going on or not. We still have to trust God and take him at his word. Psalm 91 says, the pestilence will not come near. Do you believe that? Well, let's just pray and and, um, ask God that he he would protect us, that he would guide our authorities. And so we're going to take a few moments here, uh, as we normally do, is, is our manner, and make this the house of prayer. You're making your home, your living room. Uh, a place to pray in, and and let's lift our voice. And in a few minutes, I'll close this, and then we'll have our message. And so let's take that this this moment now, and and bow our hearts and and pour out our hearts to God. Lord, we just thank you so much that we could come in your name together, wherever we are. However, we're situated in our separate homes, but a few of us here, Lord, we thank you, God, that your spirit, there's no boundaries for you. And we come together united in our prayers, united in our purpose, united to uh, worship you, Lord, united to pray. And we thank you, God, that your promise tells us that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you're in our midst, and also that you will hear our prayers and answer from heaven. So I thank you, God, that you're listening, that you're near, that you're in our midst, and that you care so deeply for each one of us. And Lord, all the things that we're doing to uh, be uh, careful uh, for this terrible, terrible virus that is the world over, as people are dying in this lonely and and terrible way. God, we just lift up those families who have suffered loss, those who are suffering separation, Lord, from family members who are in the hospital, who are alone. And God, we just pray, God, that you would somehow just reach into those rooms and those times, Lord, 
bless and draw yourself to them. God, may your grace be upon them, Lord. May they feel your presence and know, God, that you are calling to them and that you really, whether they have a relationship with you or whether they need to, and that you're calling them to yourself. And, God, that you will be near them. You're near to the brokenhearted. You're near to those who call on your name. And I pray, God, that each one would reach out during this time and lean on you and trust in you and make you the Lord and the the one who is their rescuer, their savior. God, we just pray for those families that are really so concerned, and especially if they're across the seas or uh, away from them in the long distance and not being able to minister and be with them. God, please bless those families that are struggling and suffering because of this virus. And I pray, Lord, for those that are separated and, and even and not um, not ill, but unable to be able to be with their family members. God, we're just praying that you would have an extra grace, an extra measure of, of faith, Lord, for them, and that you would allow them to be able to connect in ways that they normally couldn't. And we thank you, God, for that. We pray that you bring those home that are trying to get home to their families. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would just work in every nation every state, every country, and every state to have wisdom. We pray for our leaders, Lord God, because they are. there's so many lives that are depending and looking to them, and we know that they're coming under fire. They're coming under <clears throat> judgment of people, and whether they do things right or do them wrong, Lord, and they're, they're going to be living with this for a very long time. I pray, God, that you would just bring to their lives and their minds and their hearts and every committee every um, group that's in charge of, of something medical or something governmental, God, that you would be in their midst, God, that you would intervene, that you would show up, Lord, and direct these places and direct these people in the right way, Lord, that our nation could turn back to you, starting with our government leaders, that they would turn to you for, for their their knowledge and their wisdom, um, to seek your face, God, and each one of the people Looking to them would also do the same. God, we would all just get on our knees before you to look to you, God, as, as our Savior, to look to you as the healer, to look to you as our leader, God. We just pray that this would be a time of revival and turning again to, um, to you in our nation. We praise you. We thank you. We know it's a time that you're doing something very supernatural, very special. Nothing has ever happened like this in the world. And so we just look to you in this time to see and to watch, to make sure that we celebrate, to make sure we thank you, God, for the things that you have done, the things that we have seen you work and do. For those that you have healed, we thank you and we praise you. God, we just ask that your mercy would be on those who are suffering. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I thank you that we can, as a people, call upon your name and that you hear from heaven and you will answer, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you thought well enough of us and your love to humble us and to remove some of the noise, the distractions, the idols, Lord, of our lives so that we could pause and think that of our accountability to you and that we turn from some of the ways that are not pleasing and literally learn to love one another and to care for one another as human beings should. Lord, we ask that you'd pour out your mercy and your grace and that you would truly bring about a great awakening and a turning back to faith, to simply walking with you and loving each other. Lord, we pray for a move of your spirit, God. These are things that only you can accomplish in a human heart. And so we ourselves yield to you today. We ask that your word would find a place to take up residence within our own hearts and do its transforming work. Lord, give us your spirit. Fill us with your grace because we love you and we need you. We desperately cry out to you, Lord, in these times of need. Oh, Father, hear our cries. Listen to your people's prayers, Lord, and hear from heaven and show yourself strong. Demonstrate your power and your love in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible handy there, you might want to 
Open it up to John chapter 12, verses 12 through 36. I think I have 26 on the screen here, but it's actually 36. 12, verses 12 through 36, the triumphant entry. Jesus is now just a few days away from being on the cross. And this is where John uh, pens for us his version of what happened on that Sunday morning. Verse 12 of John's Gospel, chapter 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he would called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. And for this reason the people also met him, because they had heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who had come up to worship at the feast, and then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. For if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, And will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it and said, It had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people said, answered him, Well, we've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Well, walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So this became the hour of decision for the people who had gathered there at the Passover in Jerusalem. And the people were obviously looking for immediate deliverance from the Romans. You know, this whole idea, you know, some, he's quoting there Psalm 118 there in verse 13, you know, Hosanna, save now. They wanted immediate deliverance. That was the paradigm, the perspective that the Israelis had in regards to Messiah. When he would come, he would come and vanquish them, their enemies, and would rule and reign and set up his kingdom. And this is what the Messianic hope was all about for the Israelites as they, uh, journeyed through life and waiting for the expectant hope that God had promised them years and years ago. And for 
the people, it was an hour of decision, but also it was an hour of decision for uh, the establishment. They had witnessed the power of God as never before through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it was becoming more and more impossible for them to deny this day, the triumphant entry, uh, just prior to this day, day before probably, uh, had raised Lazarus from the dead. And this powerful witness, these miracles that he had been performing throughout his earthly ministry were just too much. And the people were being persuaded and being convicted in their hearts that Jesus was the way, that he is the king, he is their Messiah. And so this was a a, a tremendous threat uh, to the establishment. Uh, They would be Uh, ousted from their leadership of the nation, and Jesus would be made king. They didn't like Jesus. Uh, They didn't appreciate Jesus, and they knew that their position of power was at risk, uh, and they would their influence would be gone. They would lose their their place. This is this was their fear, and so they had to try to hatch a plan, come up with some way in which they could dispose of Jesus and delete him, as it were, from the scene so that they could remain in power, yet not cause an uproar, not cause a riot uh, among the people. How do we get our hands on Jesus without doing this? This was the ponderance that they had. Now, uh, Josephus reports that there were about 2.7 million people that were gathering for this Passover feast, so this place is packed. Now, Jerusalem in and of itself is... uh, geographically, you know, on the, on the hillside there, it's not a big area. You jam a couple million people into that small area, it, it's absolutely a, 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 just a confusing mess, a, a disorder and array. And then, uh, so they, this was, they were not underestimating the power of the crowd. And they had to be careful uh, how they handled themselves or that would, they, they could turn on them. So there was a lot of risk here uh, for the people. You think about uh, over 2,000 people or 2 million people being there. My goodness, think about all the the lambs. You know, probably 250,000 lambs or more would have been offered during this time. I mean, this is an incredible celebration, the Passover, one of the major feasts of Israel, the first one of the year for them. And so uh, Rome was on high alert as well. Uh, the, the, the legions there would have been at the... Antonio Fortress and all uh, on high alert for any uprising because there were guys that were, you know, seeking to overthrow Rome and and their influence. They hated the Romans. There was a tremendous hatred there uh, by some. Uh, So they didn't really like the idea of this overcrowded situation or the popularity of of, and what was, you know, the group that was following Jesus, there's potential for trouble, and that's what, what their eyes were upon. So you kind of get the picture of what uh, is going on there at this time, and, and it's an exciting time. And, you know, if you read the parallel synoptic gospels there in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19, you can compare the stories. But you see John has a little bit different twist. He's writing this many years later, looking back after, the, you know, way past Pentecost, He's an aged man at this point, having write, writing his gospel message to believers, to people who actually maybe that were still outside the faith. And he chose these signs, these very signs that Jesus performed uh, during his earthly ministry as a, a way to convince people that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. So this is he's got a little bit different angle than the other gospel writers. And so it, this is... As you read through this, it's unmistakable. This is the first time that Jesus is allowing himself to be recognized as the king of Israel. And so uh, they're not just announcing, you know, blessing upon the one who's come in the name of the Lord. They're, they're announcing this, this, this king has come. The idea of this palm uh, fronds, you know, breaking out the fronds and laying them down and creating a pathway for, for the king to enter. Uh, this by this time, um, the palm fronds had become sort of the in, uh, a national symbol. They used those during the dedication of the temple, uh, the Maccabean victories, uh, and all they, these were used. So it's just sort of something that they got used to using when they're celebrating something of that nature. So 
Um, but make no mistake about it. This is all about Jesus being the king. So this is what planted the idea, I think, in the leadership, the Pharisees, the establishment, that they could present to the Romans that there was this messianic figure, Jesus, who's making himself to be king, you know, trying and going to eventually assert the authority of Rome. And so if they could get, you know, Rome on their side, because they had the authority of taking life, they could no longer, you know, pass the capital punishment law upon people. They had to have, Rome took that away from them. So Rome had to be involved uh, in deleting Jesus, so to speak. And so they had to find an angle by which they could get Rome to do their dirty work. And so this uh, seemed to be their approach. This would be verified by uh, John nineteen twelve and John nineteen seventeen, where he's being questioned by Pilate. You know, um, are you the king of the Jews? You know, and of course Jesus answers in the affirmative, is as you say. And so you get the idea that this was how, the angle that they had taken. So in verses uh, twelve through nineteen, here we have you know these crowds that they've been traveling up this caravan along the King's Highway there on the east side of the country and then making their way, uh, coming in from the east there. And, and then those that were present coming from other places heard that Jesus was there. They heard this latest miracle of raising the dead. I mean, the guy had been dead for four days. My, How does this happen? Nobody can just, the average guy just can't do this. I mean, surely this is the Messiah. And so they uh, took up their branches and, and all. And so we see this prophecy that's spoken here by Zechariah. And I, I'm going to take the time to, to read that again. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, how do kings normally celebrate their victory? There's a lot of pomp. There's horses. Horses and, you know, the strength of an army so much as garnered around having good horses and the more horses you have the more weapons you have the more powerful your army so in the pomp and circumstance of celebrating a victory the kings would often ride on their horses and parade through uh, the streets of the city after they came back from their victories well here we have the lord taking a total different approach this prophetic prophecy of Messiah in Zechariah 9.9 is presenting Jesus as the king, but he's riding on a colt of a donkey. The whole idea is, is God's ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways and our ability to find out. I mean, it's the idea of humility. Most political kings are those who rise in the political realm, uh, they rise to power through climbing that political ladder, so to speak. But Jesus' prominence and influence within the nation did not come through political means at all. It came through a life that was dedicated to God. It was through his service and non-political ideals. They were telling the people the truth about God. And this was the difference. And so he's being presented to the nation of Israel as the humble king. And this is uh, a special day, as we have read in the other Gospels, Matthew 21 and Luke 19, that <clears throat> um, referring to Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, this was their day. Jesus, in speaking to the establishment, told them that they were we're responsible as leaders to know the hour. You know, you hypocrites, he said to them. You can read the signs in the clouds and in the sky of what the weather is going to be. You use that for the, your weather report so that you know how to conduct yourselves in your daily business. But you don't know how to discern the times in which you live. If you had only known this your day, this is a special day, they were to... He was holding them accountable, and they were there as witnesses. So important for uh, there. The local people were a witness, the people from the city uh, there, the people who had traveled from around the countryside 
from the Galilee and other places, the Pharisees, all of these were the witnesses of the things that Jesus was saying and revealing to them at this time. They were waiting for the, they thought he would bring in the kingdom. We know this is true. We know this is their mindset because of Acts 1.6. After the resurrection, it's still on the mind of the apostles, right? Is it at this time, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? <laughs> I mean, let's get on with it already. I mean, we're sort of impatient. Their hour wasn't, it wasn't up to Jesus to establish the kingdom. It was up to them to receive the kingdom within their hearts. So the kingdom of God, as he said, is here. It's at hand. John preached it. Jesus preached it. So they were looking for some physical manifestation. And God was bringing to them the essence of the spiritual kingdom of God. It was God's initiative to establish a citizenry fit for the earthly kingdom, fit for the physical kingdom. But first things first, God always puts a preeminence on the spiritual over the physical. First the spiritual, then the physical follows. And if you uh, cannot receive Jesus as Savior, as the one who forgives sins, then you're not going to fit very well into the kingdom of God that he establishes. You're going to be a rebel in that kingdom. So first things first. And so this is really what was going on here. We can kind of see this uh, developing a little bit as we read verses 20 through 26 there. The Greeks, the Gentiles. The Gentiles, you know, he'd been making his way around. Word travels. I mean, three years and all these miracles, it's going to, the audience has grown. People are, uh, Jesus has become renowned. And, And, you know, God had been silent for 400 years, and now there's this move of God uh, that was taking place there in Israel. And so the word was getting out to the Gentile world around. You know, I kind of wonder sometimes if, you know, if we're not at the beginnings of of a great awakening in our own nation. Maybe this is the catalyst that God could use to to wake people up uh, to the truth of who Christ is and who God is. You know, these Greeks that came up uh, came in a very uh, mannerly way, if you will. You know, uh, hey, Phil, uh, can we'd like to talk to Jesus. You know, can you get us a, an appointment? <laughs> you know, you know like he's caught, I think he's sort of caught off guard. It's like, wait, they're not Jews. I mean, how do we, wait. You know, they had the Syrophoenician woman that, Jesus had a exchange with, and she received a healing uh, of her demon possessed daughter. It's like, you know, how do I mean? How, let's just go ask Jesus what he says. You know, <laughs> we don't know how to handle it. What a what a what an example for us, really. You think about it. Um, when you don't really know how to handle a situation, who do you ask for help? The best person to ask is the Lord. Well, I don't know where to buy toilet paper, Lord. <laughs> you know, some of the crazy things that people are doing. Just seek counsel from God. Keep it simple. So they go and ask Jesus, and Jesus never deviates from the protocol. The Jew first and then the Gentile. And so, rather than, you know, again, giving them a direct answer, he points them to what's coming. In verses 23, he points them to the hour that he should be glorified. And then he explains uh, in a sort of a cryptic way uh, what has to happen for others to come into the kingdom. And I love this here. Uh, I think these Gentiles understood that that this Jewish religion was the key to eternal life. They understood that the way to God was through through the Jewish way of sacrifice. All else, all others were false gods and all, you know. And so uh, they wanted this. They were seeking this. And Jesus says, and I think he's answering the question, if you love your life, you're hanging on to this life only, 
and this is you're going to just stick with what you see in this physical realm, well, ultimately you're going to lose. If you want to gain your life, then you have to surrender it to gain the unseen life. And these are sort of paradoxical statements that he makes, and it causes one to think. And, and I think this is very important for people who are outside of the faith. Uh, we'll see here in a little bit where uh, those who don't respect God, those who don't understand God or, or want God on their terms, as it were with the establishment here, uh, Jesus hid himself, hid himself from them. But those who seek, God will reveal himself to them. And it's so important that we understand those. You know, he, he was not showing himself completely to those who hated him. Only those who sought him uh, would he reveal himself to. God has a special time in which he does his things. The hour has come. Up to this time, his hour had not come. You know, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, timing. Timing is such an important thing in the, in the mind of God, in the plans of God. You know, we know how important timing is uh, when we're driving our vehicles. Uh, we come to an intersection. We look to see uh, the oncoming traffic, and then we judge whether or not we've got enough time to slip in there and sort of synchronize with the flow. And if we don't time it right, well, then it doesn't end up well. I mean, there's a crash. And so timing in a lot of things is uh, very important in life. But what we understand, have to understand as believers, and really unbelievers should get this too, really, people that are outside the faith, God doesn't operate on Eastern Standard Time. He operates on eternal standard time. God does it his way under what he sees is best. I mean, you have, he has a distinct advantage over us. He understands everything. He knows all things. He knows the choices that people are going to make and when they're going to make them. And he knows how to synchronize, as it were, our lives into his plan and get the most benefit for all, the most people that are involved in it. In fact, is we don't really appreciate God's approach uh, to the way he goes about a lot of things. Isaiah 18, Israel's facing some punishment and being chastised by these surrounding nations because of their idolatry. And God's response wasn't really too pleasing to the people. Some of the people were repentant. They wanted God to help. They'd been seeking God. They knew they were in trouble. They knew that they they had to get some things right. And so they begin to seek the Lord. And But God's response there in Verse 4 is, uh, was to them, yet he said, uh, I will take my rest. I will look from my dwelling place. It's like God is sort of like, okay, I hear you. I'm watching. I'm seeing what's going on. Just give me a few moments. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm resting. In other words, I'm not actively doing something right now because the timing is not right. We don't appreciate that, but we should learn to appreciate that. But when God begins to move, no hand can, no hand can stay him. Nobody can stop him. We should actually learn to appreciate that. Same with the... God waited until he made the enemies of Jesus his footstool. They became a catalyst to fulfill his purposes. And my encouragement to you and and encouragement that comes to my own heart is God is worth waiting for. Wait for his timing. His timing is always best. Don't get ahead of him and surely don't lag behind. There are are hours of decision. This is an hour of decision for the establishment. This is an hour of decision for uh, those that were bearing witness. Both the disciples had made their decision. Those that had... We're living in the city roundabout there, experiencing these miracles. They had made a decision. They were hailing him as king. The others were rejecting him as king. It was their hour to make up their minds. You know, maybe God has allowed this to happen throughout the world, not just America, but 
what's going on with CV19 um, could be very well uh, bringing people uh, to their hour of decision. You've been thinking about God. You've been saying to yourself, you know, well, you know, when I get older, I'll get religious. You know, maybe after I get married and I settle down and I start raising a family when I need to, you know, really straighten up and be an example to my kids, then I'll get serious with God. So some of you have been putting off your decision to get serious with God and your relationship with Him for a long time. And and as a consequence of that, you have gotten caught up in working too much, enjoying far too much pleasure, and you just don't have time for God. You don't have time to go to church. You don't want to take the time uh, or put in the effort that it takes to have a relationship with God. Well, maybe this is your hour of decision to change that. God is so gracious. God is so merciful. He desires uh, to break through into the human heart and provide life. This is what Jesus has pointed out here. Uh, You want to hang on to this life? You want to continue to live your selfish way and enjoy it the way you want it in this physical level, this, this earthly plane? You do that, and there's a consequence. The consequence is you will actually lose your life. But if you're willing to give up this and surrender your will and your life, you'll receive the gift of eternal life. Now, this isn't really a hard thing to figure out here. You can live the way you want to live and die in this world and be separated from God. Or you can turn to God, receive life now, and then when you die and leave this body, live with him forever. So it's life on the short term or life forever. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like there's even a a choice to make here. It's obvious what should be done. But it's your will that stands in the way. You must learn to surrender that. This is what he's talking about. It is to lose it. Let go. When you lose something, that means you've let, let go of it. You no longer have it in your possession. That possession has now been yielding to someone or something else. It's no longer yours. It's interesting what he says here. He uses two different words in the original here. Uh, The first one is suke, and that's uh, for life, and that is life on the natural level. And we know, uh, and it can verify this, uh, with what I'm saying is verified by the use of the, the second word, zoe, spiritual life. If you want to have spiritual life, then you have to surrender your natural life. And in doing so, You're born again, and you receive life from above. So, to those who believe on his name, Jesus gave the right, the authority, to become sons of God. When you will turn your heart towards God and ask him to come into your life, he will come. You know, when I, people struggle with, well, what's God's will for my life? If, If I do that, what's his will for my life? And this is the wonderful thing about faith. If any man will do my will, Jesus says this, I believe, in John 6. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. You shall know the truth. You shall know the teaching. You'll know what to do. If you'll surrender your will, you'll do what you know is right. He refers to his walking in the light here later on. Just do what you know is right. And many of you who have been fighting with God, resisting God, you know what's right. Stop fighting. Just yield. Just give yourself uh, back and surrender your will. The way to see Jesus we would see Jesus. Now, I don't know that they, the Greeks really appreciated that answer. Oh, so in other words, if we're going to see Jesus, we've got to lose our life. We're going to let, you know, we're going to have to die to see Jesus? Well, wait, you know, what is he talking about? He's talking about surrender. If you really want to see Jesus, if you really want to understand God and God's ways, you must surrender your will. Die to self, as it were. And then we see in the last few verses here, 27 through 36, 
the human side of Christ. You cannot read through the pages of Scripture and miss the human side of our Savior. He is a very mysterious individual. He is God, but he is also man. God thought it would be pretty cool to become a man. That just sort of in and of itself is, is a mystery. It's hard to really wrap your mind around that whole concept, but this is what the Bible teaches us. And this idea that, well, he really wasn't a man because he, you know, wait. What does he say there in verse 27? Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? He knew what was coming down. He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't taken by surprise. He 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 knew very well that when they drove the nails in his hands, in his feet, that it was going to hurt. He understood that he was going to get whipped, scourged. He knew that they were going to mock him and do despicable things to him. He was very well aware of that. So I believe that's an understatement. Now my soul is troubled. Yeah. Some stress coming on there. Well, if you really, people, are, there are those who think you should never be unhappy as a Christian. You should never uh, let any emotional thing trouble you like that. That's, that's a position. You know, and it's almost like you have to deny emotions. Well, we don't deny emotions as believers. We just don't let them control us. By the way, it reminds me, um, just received an announcement that a, a dear pastor friend, uh, an acquaintance, I don't really know uh, Lloyd Pulley very well, but he, it's reported that he lost his son in an auto accident uh, just a couple days ago or short, just uh, recently here. So we need to pray. Now, if you lose someone a loved one in your life. Maybe uh, it's not through accident as Lloyd Karen have, have uh, experienced. Um, maybe it's through this, you know, CV-19, you know. Um, these are hard things. You know, God doesn't tell us to deny our emotions. And in fact, the Jews would mourn 30 days. I think one of the things in our culture that's a little skewed is that we cut the mourning period way too short. You know, a person passes on, uh, we make the arrangements, you know, the third or fourth day we have the funeral, and then maybe later on we'll have a memorial service, you know, and usually within uh, a week or so, these things are wrapped up from a public standpoint anyway, and then, you know, the people are, are expected to just go on about their lives. Well, it doesn't work that way. We really do need to mourn. We need to grieve. It's it's a uh, these are real emotions, and we're not to deny them. And I thank the Lord that He allowed the Scriptures to to illustrate that and to show us the human side. When He was there at the uh, tomb of Lazarus, He wept. He was broken. He was from a human side. I believe He's thinking of, of what death brought to the family of God and to believers having to experience the departure of a loved one. These are hurtful things. And we need love and compassion for one another. And Jesus is showing that he understands uh, who we are. He himself was subjected to it. So thank God that he condescends to our level and our pain. But his prayer is always his Father glorify your name. And this is, again, the name, the nature, the character of God. The voice from heaven. God bearing witness to his son. Now, you read this, and if, you, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, you know, you, well, come on, a voice from heaven. I mean, could God actually, in heaven, speak so his voice could be heard on earth? You know, that sounds like something out of, you know, that sounds a little too sci-fi for a lot of people. Well, God doesn't do anything just because he wants to do them. There's always reason and purpose uh, behind it. It was for their sakes, Jesus said. Jesus didn't need to hear it. He knew his mission, his destiny, but to bear witness. 
You know, some people have struggle with the supernatural. There are people who struggle with the unseen realm. If you think that this life is all about what you see with your eyes and that there's that's all there is, you are missing out on your understanding of what is really going on. There is with around us an unseen realm, another dimension, one in which angels dwell, one in which the presence of God uh, is there. We don't understand all that because we don't have the machinery, as it were. We don't have the, the capabilities in our human limitation to see into the spirit realm or understand what's really going on. In fact, it's probably a good thing. We wouldn't be able to sleep at night if we could see and understand. Um, we are given glimpse of it, glimpses of it throughout the scriptures. Elisha was being surrounded by the Syrian army, and his servant was freaking out. We're going to die. You know, he's just really having a rough time with, and, and he said, oh, Lord. Elisha prayed, Lord, open the eyes of the servant. Let him see. When he, his eyes were opened, he said that there were chariots of fire all around them. There are, he, he made the statement, you know, there are more for us than against us. God with you is a majority. No weapon formed against you can prosper when God is surrounding you. That's why we can embrace Psalm 91 during this time where it says no pestilence will come near. Should we fear what's going on? Should we be afraid? Oh, we're going to run out of food. We're going to run out of this. We begin to hoard things and we make irrational decisions because we're afraid. We're always afraid of stuff when we don't understand them. But for the person who loves God, we know that we don't need to understand everything. We don't need all knowledge. We need all trust. If we just simply trust God in the midst of our trial, whatever it might be, we know that we have what we're going to have what we need. And we need not be caught up with fear. And some of you are just overwhelmed. Am I going to get this? Well, even if you do get it, God's going to be with you if you call upon his name. You know, let's just listen to our president. Let's just listen to the leadership. Let's do what they're telling us to do. We may not like it. We might not enjoy, you know, quarantining ourselves. But they do have a cure. They do have pills we can take now. We have medical equipment available. It, it's okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it through here. And we need not fear. Jesus, he was troubled. I'm not saying we shouldn't express, you know, that we're troubled and we're bothered by it. I'm a, frankly a little impatient with it already. And it's been a couple weeks. I can't imagine how much longer this goes on, I probably will get a little stir-crazy, but I'm going to have to deal with it. But that's just who I am. I will deal with it. I'm not going to let it control me. You can only control what's in your realm of responsibility. Do what you need to do for you and your family. Don't worry about other things that you can't control. Just worry about what you can control and what is in your sphere of responsibility, and God will guide you in that. And... and um, Leave it there. I'm going to close here in verse 35 when Jesus explained to them that he's going to be crucified. And then he says, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. You know, if you don't understand God's ways, if you don't understand God's purposes, he is hidden from you. The light will reveal who God is. And the light will reveal his purposes for you and your life. But you have to come on his terms. So many people want God on their terms. They want a God after their own making. Well, my God would never do this. My God would never do that. Well, it's not about your God. Your God keeps you in darkness. It's the one you've created in your own mind. 
If you want to see the light, you understand the true and living God, the God who created everything, then you have to come on his terms. And they're very simple terms. You have to recognize first and foremost that you are a sinner. Jesus came to provide atonement. Substitutionary atonement is what the Bible teaches us. In the Old Testament, it was done through the sacrificial system of lambs. In the New Testament, we have the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. God himself became a man, took on the form of humankind, and as an innocent, sinless man, became the sin offering. He shed his blood, his precious blood, on Calvary's cross to make atonement for our sin. It is through his blood, because life is in the blood, that we receive atonement, the forgiveness of sins. There's two things that come into play when it involves forgiveness of sin. One, first I must admit that I'm guilty, that I have sin in my life, that I've fallen short of perfection, and I need to ask God to forgive me of that sin. And when you have Ask God to forgive you of your sin. He will. Then he also tells us, since we've been forgiven, we in turn have to forgive others. There are a lot of people that don't really receive salvation. They may have prayed this sinner's prayer. They may have asked, quote, Jesus into their heart. But they've never really received that born-again experience because they are unwilling to extend the same forgiveness to others of which they would like to receive. See, guilt is not just a mental thing in their mind. It is a spiritual thing, so to speak. It, it is spiritually, it affects our souls and our spirit. And it's only that only God's provision, the sacrifice on the cross, that provides the release of that guilt, that makes the payment, as it were, the soul that sins shall die. Some, something, some debt, when sin is incurred, it, it forms a debt. And this debt must be satisfied. That is the justice of God. And so Jesus himself paid the debt. The nails in his hands. He took the nails for you. He took the nails for me. He paid the debt that I owe to God. And what we refer to it in the church as, and as believers refer to it as the great exchange. Jesus, in a sense, became what I am, a chief of sinners. I've been guilty of all the sins. I'm guilty. I stand guilty before God. And I ask him to forgive me. And he, he, in his death, he became sin. He was separated from the Father for a brief moment, the first time in eternity, as he hung there and became the sin offering for man. The great exchange is that now by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, I receive the gift of righteousness. He became what I was so that I could become as he is, righteous. And now my Father in heaven, our creator, can now look upon those who believe through the righteousness of Christ. It is a gift of God. How do you receive a gift? You must reach out and ask God. You must ask for it. Nothing, a man can receive nothing except it comes from heaven, and we can receive nothing except we ask God for it. So God desires, He wants all to be saved. He's no respecter of persons. Everybody that makes it into the kingdom of God has come the same way. We all have to ask the Lord to forgive us. We all have to turn away from our sin and begin to live our lives for him. It isn't just saying a prayer once and you've got that taken care of. It is walking, as he says here, walking in the light. Your lifestyle will change. Your, your, your heart, your inner man, your, your paradigm of life, how you begin to see things will be radically transformed as you surrender to God. And it's a good thing. You'll have hope, you'll have peace, you'll experience a love that's beyond words, it's beyond description. This is what God has for you. So if it's taken this tribulation, this trial, this come upon the earth, to turn you around, to get your attention, 
I think it's well. I think it's a trial that's worth allowing to happen. God has allowed this to happen. It was it his perfect will? Probably not. But he's allowed it to happen. And God uses all things to work together for good. And if you'll turn to God and you'll ask him to come into your life, you'll never be the same. You'll be you'll be so satisfied and so full of joy that you've come to God. And so let me take this time as I close in prayer to pray for you who have received that message. Maybe you've taken uh, this to heart and you want to get right with God. I'm going to pray with you right now and ask that the Lord's Spirit will bear witness. People say, well, how do you know you're saved? How do you know when you die you're going to go to heaven? I get that sometimes. How could you possibly know that? Well, I can tell you, uh, the Bible tells, says it this way, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. When God's Spirit bears witness with your spirit, you make no mistake about it, you'll know. You may not fully grasp the experience, but you'll know. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have made it simple that little children can understand the way of salvation. That we are sinners. We need a Savior. You are the Savior. It was your sacrifice that paid the debt. And Lord, we're thankful that you did. And so, Father, I pray that uh, any person right now that's received you into their heart will just simply rest in that finished work that you have accomplished on the cross. Bless them. Bear witness, Lord, with their spirit. Now, there may be some of you that you don't even know how to pray. And I'm saying this out of my own personal experience. I was having an experience with God as a young man, and I didn't know how to pray. And so I'm going to lead you in a short little, what people refer to as the sinner's prayer. I'll help you get started. And prayer isn't complicated. Prayer is something that you just, it's simply having a conversation with God. Tell God how you think. Tell God how you feel. Tell God what you want. Tell him what you think you may need. And then go to his word. Go to the Bible and begin to read and allow God to speak to you through his word. That's what you need to do. But now let me lead you in a prayer. And this is how you would pray if you've never received Jesus as your Savior. This is how I would like to pray with you. And you can repeat these words after me in your own heart. Father in heaven, I come to you as a man, as a woman, as a child, as a person in need of forgiveness. I know I have sinned. And I'm asking you to forgive me, Lord. I'm asking you to give me the grace to forgive others that have sinned against me. I don't want to die and be separated from you. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, and I want to have eternal life. Please come into my life, Lord. May your spirit bear witness with my spirit that I might know that I'm your child. In Jesus' name. A simple prayer along those lines. God will become real. You'll understand God. You'll be able to see Jesus for who he really is. This is your hour of decision. This is your hour that you must decide what you're going to do. What direction you're going to head with the rest of your days. And may God bless you and direct you. And for the my brothers and sisters out there in your living room or wherever you're at listening to this, uh, God is with us. He's promised never to leave us. He's promised never to forsake us. And if uh, you, we are isolated as a word from one another right now, but you have means by which you can call, talk to people. Don't completely isolate yourself where you have no human contact. This is not healthy. Take the time. Again, improve your prayer life. Begin to pray for one another. Begin to pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. 
pray that the enemy's uh, plans will be uh, foiled. Pray that truth and righteousness will be prevailed. There's so much to pray about and so many issues that we're facing right now. And so with that, I'm saying God bless you. I hope to see you again next week as we continue our uh, mission here to minister God's word. We'll uh, have a resurrection ministry, uh, message next week because uh, that's what it's all about. Jesus is who he said he is. He rose from the dead. God bless you. Have a great week.